I knew that if I go, I will drink. I will drive drunk. I will do stupid things. I knew at that time that something bad is about to happen to me or somebody else because of my drinking. I remember having conversation with that individual in my home that day where he asked me, why do you have to drink? And my response to him was, I don't know. I just love it too much. And in that moment, the honesty and the clarity that I had about what I was saying was something that I have never experienced in my life. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M., I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That was the voice of Miss Magdalena that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment. But first things first, this episode, this one you're listening to right now is brought to you by Trudy and Jill. You know what Trudy and Jill did? They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Trudy and Jill, for your generous contribution. This episode is coming right out to both of you. I, ladies and gentlemen, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored to be sitting in this virtual seat. Um, Well, I'm actually in a real seat, to tell you the truth, but nonetheless, I'm truly honored to be sitting in this seat and privileged to serve all of you listening in. All right, so you know what? We are going to have another shindig, a big live shindig, a Sober Speak live event. It's going to be on December 6th, coming right around the corner here, folks. And it is with Ms. Brenda J. And this is going to be at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church at 3521 Main Street in Frisco, Texas. It will be from 6.30 p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m., uh, if you don't want to remember that, or you do want to find the information at a later time, uh, you can go to our website, soberspeak.com or any of our social media sites. And, uh, and if you really can't remember the address and you, and you can't uh, find it otherwise, just email me at John, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Come be with us for 
an evening of love, light, and laughter with Miss Brenda J. We, folks, will be addressing four topics that evening, grief, forgiveness, compassion, and grace. And we're going to spend about 15 minutes on each of those topics. If you want to ask Miss Brenda J. a question, you can send me an email to john at soberspeak.com, and I will throw that in the hat to uh, provide to her. For those of you who are in the North Texas area and will be attending, keep in mind, free child care is available for those who need it. We'll have some uh, coffee, always a coffee at a meeting, right? And uh, some light snacks and desserts there. And also for those of you who cannot make it, and I realize most of you listening in right now cannot make it, right? If you're in Uruguay or something like that, you're not going to be able to make it to the uh, event. Uh, but we will be streaming the audio live from 6.30 p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time in the secret Facebook group. Keep in mind the event is free. We we pass a basket at the end, right? If you want to pitch in, great. If not, no worries. Just come on down nonetheless. And I want everybody to know this is a break-even event. In other words, we pass the basket at the end of the meeting. We pull out some money to pay for some of the refreshments and a few miscellaneous uh, expenses. And then we split the rest of the money between some folks at the church that provide things like the entertainment uh, and they operate the the AV stuff like the soundboard, lighting, recording the event and all that kind of stuff. And and we just uh, give an honorarium to them. And uh, And here's another thing I want you guys to know. I do not use any of the donations that I receive for the podcast to put toward the Sober Speak Live event. I treat that as a separate entity because obviously 98% of you all out there cannot attend these events. And we will also be having live music from Miss Wendy Child at the event. And I'm going to play some of Wendy's music at the back end of this episode right after listener feedback. All right. So now, on to Miss Magdalena. Magdalena was born in Poland, thus the accent that you heard at the beginning of this episode. She has been sober since December 28th of 2012. We talk about, gosh, we get into some of the the history of Poland uh, as it relates to Magdalena's journey in recovery uh, and the scarcity of resources uh, that she uh, experienced uh, in Poland. We talk about her family, her life as a business owner, and we wrap that all around her journey to and in recovery. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ms. Magdalena. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Ms. Magdalena. And uh, in fact, We'll talk about her name just a little bit in a moment, but uh, I wanted to go ahead and kind of set up how I came across Magdalena. She knows my sponsor, Bob L. Oh, by the way, before I go on, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and give your sobriety date, if you will, please, Miss Magdalena. Thank you, John. My name is Magdalena, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is December 28, 2012. 
December 28, 2012, so right after Christmas, huh? Yes. Good. Interesting we, time. Yeah, we have a lot of people that come in right after Christmas and uh, right at the beginning of the year, as you know, I'm sure. I've All noticed. right, so uh, the, how I know Magdalena, by the way, her name is not when you see it spelled on this episode, if you're looking at it, I was pronouncing it Magdalena, but it is not Magdalena, it is... Magdalena. Magdalena. And we're going to talk about her accents, which you would probably have picked up uh, here in just a moment. But she knows my sponsor or met my sponsor, Bob L. And how did you meet him again? Yes, Bob and I met at Carrollton Group. That is the group that I got sober at. And Bob was one of the many old timers that I saw at the meetings. And we had a chance to chat a little bit. And actually, one of my first sponsors, um, I believe, was um, Bob Sponsee. So um, he just played a tremendous role in my early sobriety, um, especially when I was getting sober. And um, I will never forget one time I was very upset in the meeting and Bob L. gave me a piece of advice that I still carry with me to this day. And that was that I do not have to approve it, but I have to accept it. So I not necessarily I need to like things that are happening, but um, there is a power in accepting them. So that came from Bob L. You know, I got sober at the Carrollton Group as well. I don't know if you know that. but uh, I think you mentioned that to me when we first started to correspond via email. Many moons ago. Mm-hmm. And Bob L. was my, uh, still is my sponsor today. And yeah. I tell him that it's, uh, I'm test driving him. <laughs> that he's a temporary sponsor, and I'm going to see if it works out. So far, so good. I'm wow. going to let him hang on a little bit longer. Very cool. <laughs> All right. So so she knows Bob L., and I was uh, talking to Bob on the phone one day, and I, I can't even remember how we mentioned, uh, how your name came up, but somehow it came up, and he says, John? You know, he talks in that redneck language. Kind mm-hmm. of. He said, John, you got to have her on the podcast. And I was like, <laughs> you got it, Bob. I will do it. And so I reached out to you. You were, I guess, in Poland at the yes. time? Yes. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about that real quick. Obviously, people are going to pick up real quick that you are not from Alabama. No, I like to tell them that I'm from East Texas. <laughs> Really, East Texas. Deep, deep East Texas. Um, Now, I was born and raised in Poland. Um, Born and raised in Poland, and first 21 years of my life I spent in Poland. Then as a 21-year-old, I moved to United States. Did you know how to speak English when you came here? Yes, I had English since I was 12, English classes. Um, I was, I think, one of the first classes in Poland um, that year um, that started to learn Western European language. Before that, it was Russian and Polish um, because uh, Poland was um, shortly coming out of the communism regime. So that year, I think when I was 12, was the first year that Western European language was introduced to, um, to schools. And it just it was just out of, you know, kind of like mini, eeny, mini, miny, mo, <laughs> where um, you didn't even have a say on what language you will be taught. It was decided for you, kind of that method of just random selection um, from the 
directors and principal or whoever was at that time um, over the school. And just so happened that my class ended with English. And um, I remember, I think when I was learning English, and it's just coming to me right now, that was my first um, little spiritual awakening, um, what I like to call. And I did not understand the language at all whatsoever. I could not put sentences together as simple as this is a cat. And then one day I remember sitting at home and staring at a piece of paper and um, you know how, um, well, you might not know, but for me, how it all happened, it was like I heard this little crack in my brain and suddenly things fell in place in my head and I just, this language that I couldn't understand five minutes ago just became completely available to me. Um, I was able to start um, understanding the conjugations and um, the, the verbiage made sense to me and how the sentences were formed. And it literally came to me in that split second of just boom, there it was. And I had that kind of experience also in sobriety um, one day at the um, North Texas Roundup. Mm -hmm. And um, not too long ago, it happened again. So I call those my little spiritual awakening moments where things in my, I, I think that I'm rewiring through sobriety, my brain that there is a chemical reaction to the things that suddenly my brain gets. And um I like to call them my little spiritual awakening moments. So, oh. so before we leave Poland, there, I, mm -hmm. I just you know, like you said, you you spent the first twenty one years of your life there. Talk to me what it was like being a little girl in Poland and growing up there. What are your memories of it? You know, memories of Poland. They are. Um, I'm still trying to understand what was going on in Poland when I was growing up. Um, being born in 79, um, that was still 10 years before um, Poland was um, freed from the communist regime. So there are um, bits and pieces where I remember what it was like to, you know, go to the store and there was not a lot on the shelves and you paid for bread and for sugar and flour with little tiny coupons like food stamps. And the scarcity of the product, I, I remember that. I remember what it was like to march um, on May 1st in a um, Labor Day parade that we would um, make flowers for from like paper flowers in kindergarten. And then me and my dad, we would go and march in a Labor Day parade. And um, Labor Day was a um, widely celebrated holiday um, during communism. And um, there, there are just bits and pieces where there was a lot of happiness. And then there are the bits and pieces where I'm still trying to understand of that unhappiness that came um, with the scarcity of product, not, avail uh, not being able to have access to things that were widely developed in, in Western Europe. So it's, it's, still, um, it's still developing and, and, and I'm still trying to learn about myself during that time. Did you have a big family? Um, 
yes and no. The immediate family, it was just my parents, me and my brother. But we also had my grandparents living nearby. And then uncles and aunts. And then we had extended family about, I want to say, two hours away. So um, quite quite big when we would get together for Christmas at my grandma's house. It would be a full house. What was housing like? We lived, um, when I was born, we lived in the big, um, almost, I think you see those in pro- like uh, in projects, um, those big blocks of those small apartments, right, one next to um, the other. And um, right in front of it, you had a sandbox and few swings and things like that. So, um up until six years old, that's where I lived. And then my dad and my mom um, built our home and we moved out to suburbs. And that meant that life would be much better for us. What kind of work did they do? Um, they both work for, at that time, government-owned um, entity. My dad worked as an electrician in a coal mine. My hometown is known from um, discovering coal and and... Um, exporting it to other places in Poland. And my mom worked at railway station. She went through a lot of different positions from being, you know, the lady at the, um, what do you call it, um, where you connect the phones? Yeah, like the operator? Yes, yes. She was an operator um, sending out um telegrams i think and all that cool stuff i remember going and playing with all the stuff that she had in her office to actually being a conductor in the train um traveling all around poland um in the train and checking tickets all right so i i could spend a lot of time in poland here (laughs) because i'm very intrigued by it and what it was like growing up there but okay so all right so at some point then you decided or somebody decided for you. How did that work? How did you get to the United States when you were 21? Um, My uncle, my dad's youngest brother, he immigrated from Poland when I was seven years old. Um, He was 10 years older than than me at that time. So he was going on 18. He immigrated from Poland and um, he ended up in Greece, and then from Greece through, I think, American Red Cross, he ended up in Dallas. And it was all under, um, you know, there was political unrest in Poland during that time, because it was um, brink of um, civil unrest, because the communism was dying off. And um, I don't know if you are familiar with the guy called Lech Wałęsa. Yes, he was. Um, he was coming to power at that time. Um, there was um, the the um, shipyards in north of Poland. The strikes there were very brutal, very um, bloody, and just a lot of civil unrest. And my uncle was able to um, seek political asylum, I believe, through um, through some organizations. I don't know exactly how it happened. Um, however, he was the one who ended up in Dallas. And um, by the time I was 21, he has been living here for many, many years, I think, over 20, um, or at least double digits. And I came to actually visit him. Um, I finished my college in Poland. 
and I wanted to try something new. I always wanted to study in the United States, so I came here with the goal of going to either community college or some kind of university and earning my degree from United States and then possibly going back to Europe and you know it's been what 18 years now and I'm still here so I think it's working out for me. <laughs> yeah, it's great. What did you study in Poland? What in in college? It was hotel management. Gotcha. Hotel management and I came to United States and I wanted to study hospitality as now, well. Now do they have a lot of hotels in Poland? No. So that's very interesting. So your study. So when you got out of school, were you planning to do anything with that degree? I was planning to actually um, during my schooling in Poland, I had a opportunity to work for a travel agency, and travel agency um, in Poland works a little bit differently than here. A travel agency in Poland, you actually not only buy airline tickets, but they design tours they have tour directors um, tour managers guides um, they designed the tours from start to finish so I was able to learn that and I was um, actually when I was leaving Poland I um, dropped just a bomb on my uh, back then boss who wanted me to be his right hand in a new travel agency that he was starting in Poland. And at that time, coming to United States was much more attractive to me. So I just, I got my visa. I think it was end of May. And by July, July 19th, um, 2001, I was leaving Poland to come to United States. Did you know anybody here besides your uncle? No. Wow. Just my uncle and his family at that time. Um, he was married and he still is um, to my aunt. And he had two young little boys. So those were the only four people that I knew here. And so how did you get a, a job and such like that? Or did you, maybe get, did you start working? Were you living with your uncle? Yes, I was living with my uncle. And what happened is um, back then you didn't have um, social media. You didn't have all this technology available to you like you do have right now. So we just put an ad in good old Dallas Morning News that Polish nanny is looking for a uh, nanny job. Ah. And it is just such an amazing story. I met the most wonderful family through that ad. Um, Teresa and Kurt, they responded to the ad. And um, Teresa knows a little bit of Polish. So she started to speak this cute Polish with American accent over the phone when she called. And I ended up being with that family for over seven years. We still are in touch. They are legal guardians to my daughter. Mm. And um, next year, I am going to the wedding of the oldest son. They have, they have three sons. I'm going to the oldest one wedding. Um, we still stay in touch and we visit each other and they are in my life. I'm in theirs and um, it just have been a wonderful, wonderful friendship, relationship. They, they are my family. Okay, so I got a politically incorrect question for you. Okay. Have you ever heard of Polish jokes? 
I did, unfortunately. <laughs> I did. And you know, by the way, they transfer them. Sometimes I say Polish jokes, like down here in Texas, they say Aggie jokes. Yep. And then you can say blonde jokes. You can yep. say, I mean, they are all interchangeable. Yes. Uh, but uh, I was just wondering if that ever I've came heard up. a lot of them, and then they repeated them, just like you said, for blondes, for whomever. <laughs> Whatever your distinction is, there is a joke about it. <laughs> all righty. Okay, so, all right, so let's get it. So you're 21 years you're here and uh, or at 21 years old you are here. At some point, I'm assuming that alcohol entered the picture here, alcohol and or drugs, whatever you had going mm -hmm. on. Was that before you came to the United States or after you came or both? Um, I was always a heavy drinker. Um, in Poland, I had my, you know, girlfriends that we would um, run around and party and drink with. Um, but then when I came to United States, um, what started to happen is I the, the homesickness that I have felt. That was a new feeling for me, and that's what I started to drink over. So that was my first time in the United States where I started to really heavily drink over my feelings, whatever I was feeling. And usually that feeling was being homesick. Did you ever heavily consider going back? There were moments um, where life just got too hard, but then there was... On the other hand, Kurt and Teresa that always were there for me, um, the the um, parents of those two three boys, and they always kept me pushing. They they saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself, and they were there for me whenever I needed help. So um, I was able to avoid going back because of them just out of curiosity was it important for them to have somebody of polish descent be their nanny or did it just i mean you said they spoke to you in broken polish when teresa did yeah. she um her family comes from poland um and she um has polish roots but i think that it was they had they are from New York originally, so they had a Polish nanny there. And it was just easier for the boys, I think. Um, and it just so happened that um, I guess Polish nannies have a good reputation. Oh, well, good. I didn't in know that. Dallas. So <laughs> that's why, you know, it was um, important for me to put my nationality that yeah. I'm Polish. Um, so that's kind of how our paths cross. You know, I found when I was a little kid, I remember finding out that my mom was prejudiced against Polish people. You know how I knew that? How? I went to the closet one day, and I found some Polish remover in her closet. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That is a new Polish a new joke one, okay, that I I'm heard. Sorry. But that's a good one, I got to yeah, say. Yeah, okay, okay, gotcha. All that's right. a good one. So nonetheless, all right, so <laughs> that's a good place to take a little break. Sounds and, awesome. And uh, we'll be continuing our conversation <laughs> with Magdalena, not... Magdalena, as I was pronouncing it to begin with. In just a moment, please remember you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find ah, approximately, oh, by the time we release this one, it's going to be over 100. 
Miss Magdalena uh, episodes. Uh, and you can listen to those for free. You can also find the donate button on our website if you wish to use it only in if and only the spirit moves you to you to use it. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. So back to Magdalena, you are here in the United States. You're feeling some sort of homesickness. And are you saying at that point, the, the drinking began to escalate somewhat? Yes, Yes, it it did. And, you know, when I, it stands out to me so much in, in our literature, when it says there is a one sentence that says, I don't remember exactly where, we became alcoholics. And that's what I think happened to me when I started to drink um, over my feelings that I became an alcoholic. That's when I started to drink alcoholically. Um, and, you know, the the feelings, they just, they just grew louder and stronger. And I remember not having a lot of food in my apartment, but I do remember always having a six pack or some wine. There was always money for alcohol. Mm -hmm. Had to work that into the budget. Not even work that into the budget. I worked my budget around. I I understand. (laughs) Getting what I needed at that time and what I needed was alcohol. So I would do whatever it took to get, um, get me some wine or beer or whatever alcohol at that point I could afford. Um, I would, you know, the insanity, the unmanageability of, of my drinking. Um, I can really see that when I reflect on times when I would live in Dallas and I had a little Chevron credit card. Um, I lived in a dry area. So I would drive all the way to Plano and not only to any liquor store, I would drive to a particular Chevron station um, because I would have that credit card. And if my bank account was zero, I would use that credit card to buy myself um, some wine or beer, whatever you could find at the gas station at that time. Help me with the timeline here. Sure. Um, I was a nanny for about seven years, intertwined with a little internships here and there where I would work in the corporate America um, in hotels um, because that's what I also studied here in the United States. So, you know, the family was so gracious about um, allowing me to work on my career that they would honestly just let me go for six or seven months if I wanted to work in a hotel because I had a job opportunity. Um, And they would cheer me on and um, allow me to go and do my own thing and work in the corporate world just to come back to them. So on and off, it was seven years. Um, During that time, there was a lot of also immigration things that were going on with me and my status. I, um, you know, needed to move from being a student to, um, I found a company that would sponsor me for a work visa for me to work legally in the United States. Then I lost that visa of some, um, 
I think if I remember correctly, my lawyer at that time didn't send documents on time for me to get my visa extended. So when I lost that visa, I would go back to Teresa and Kurt and start working for them again. So it was on and off seven years. Um, but that was the time that I was a nanny and um, in the corporate world while I was working there, I would meet a lot of people that later on would influence my corporate career. So after seven years of being a nanny, I um, got an offer of a job in a hotel in Grapevine. And that meant for me that I um, needed to say goodbye to to the family. What year uh, was that good. approximately? That was approximately 2007. Okay, so you still had five more years of good drinking to do before yes. you got into Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. So it was 2012, your first entree into Alcoholics Anonymous? Or yes. You, okay, so you actually came in, got sober, and stayed sober. Um, not really. Um, 2012, I think in May, was the first time that I uh, picked up a desire chip. And I drank again in September. And then I drank my way to December 28th. Okay. That's when I picked up another desire chip and by the grace of God stayed sober till today. What was your experience like going into that first meeting in May? I was not doing it for myself. I was doing it for him. Okay. So is it, was a him a husband or a boyfriend? Boyfriend at that time. Yes. Okay. So you were doing it for the boyfriend. The boyfriend was none too happy about your mm -hmm. level of uh, enthusiasm regarding yes. alcohol. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I am grateful for that relationship though, even though it was a total disaster. Um, that was the, the plants, the seeds were planted um, when I went to AA in May, 2012. At the time, did you think get off my back? Yes. I bet. And so you went into that first meeting. Uh, you were not doing it for really yourself. You're doing it for somebody else. Do you remember thinking, mm, I could come back to this? Or were you kind of like, I'm, this is not my deal? No, I got a big book and I talked to other alcoholics and I had every desire to go back. Um, but then that desire evaporated the moment I left the building. And was this Carrollton group you were going no, to? No, that time? was Addison. Okay. Addison. Um, so then you came back in December 28th of 2012. What group was that to? That was Carrollton. That's Carrollton. Mm -hmm. And by the way, for those of you listening throughout the United States and other nations, we're talking about several different groups that are located within the Dallas-Fort Worth area here uh, in Texas. All right, so December 28th, 2012, you came in. From this time, you stayed sober. What do you think was the difference this time versus coming in in May? I had my act of providence on December 27th. Oh, um, which what's the act of providence? That is where, um, I don't remember exactly how, how it's described in, in a very quick, quick little um, paragraph in our literature. But what I understood from it is the moment that you really, when you reach out to God and ask for help, you really are able to hear the message back. And that was the, the day where I, I could feel it in my core, my, my being that if I drink again, I will not, something bad will happen to me or somebody else. I will, my, my quote unquote luck with alcohol is, is really coming to an end because I was a, 
um, alcoholic that drove drunk all around the Metroplex. Um, and I haven't gotten into one single accident. I Not once I was pulled over. And this is not me being you know, boastful about it. It was me saying that I was one of the ones that didn't have those severe consequences. Describe your act of providence a little bit more. In other words, so I, I know what you felt, but mm-hmm. where were you? What was happening? Do you remember how yes. it came about? Oh, I remember it so significantly. I was in my kitchen. I had my little townhome that I purchased in 2009 because um, up until up until that point, I'm a highly functioning alcoholic, which means I got my master's degree, I got my bachelor's degree, I have a great job, I'm paying bills, semi on time, I'm getting into some kind of debt, but I, you know, I I bought my first townhome. On the outside, I look like I have my stuff together. However, inside, um, any kind of awareness, any kind of connection to a higher power, that was non-existent. And um, December 27th, I was in my kitchen. I came back home from a night of just heavy drinking and slept through the day and it's the afternoon and I woke up um, to my then boyfriend being very upset with me. I could not even look at myself in the mirror and I was standing in the kitchen. My dogs were playing outside. I was unloading the dishwasher, doing the mundane stuff and my phone kept buzzing that I have text messages coming through. And those text messages were from my girlfriends inviting me to do things with them that evening where I knew that if I go, I will drink. I will drive drunk. I will do stupid things. And I knew at that time that something bad is about to happen to me or somebody else because of my drinking. And I remember having conversation with um, that individual in my home that day where he asked me, why do you have to drink? And my response to him was, I don't know. I just love it too much. And in that moment, the honesty and the clarity that I had about what I was saying was something that I have never experienced in my life. In that moment, I knew I'm not going anywhere that night. I stayed home. I stayed home on the couch with my dogs. Um, A few days later was um, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. Um, That boyfriend of mine at that time came home with a bottle of champagne because he didn't believe that I was not drinking. And I told him, no, just Sprite for me. And the journey of recovery have started for me. Um, But to answer your question, the act of providence, I think hearing myself being honest and being so clear about I don't know, I just love it too much, was so powerful to me and my God, um, that at that point, um, that was my little cry for help. Okay, so the boyfriend is now a husband. 
Correct. No. Oh, that was another. Oh, I'm sorry. Are, are You're you, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, My that apologies. relationship started to fall apart at the work. moment I okay. got sober. <laughs> That's the <laughs> the irony of of sobriety is that just um, when you think you know, you don't. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. So, I believe you came. So, when did you start going to the? You go to the Clean Air North group mm-hmm. now, right? Do you know Samara by any chance? Yes. Do you yes. know she's been on this uh, podcast a couple times? No, I haven't gotten to her yet. Yes. Um, I know her from um, women's meetings yeah. and from the newcomers meetings from whenever I can make it to Clean Air North. But yes, I remember actually when she came in. Yeah, she uh, she did a really good, much like you. Uh, she did a really good job uh, coming in here. Like I said, I had her a, a couple of different times. She has an incredible, uh, an incredible story as well. Uh, so, all right. So you you come into the program. Uh, talk to me about getting a sponsor, working through the steps. You know what your experience in uh, sobriety has been like. Mm-hmm. So my first year of sobriety, I had about five sponsors. Five? Yes. Um, <laughs> there was either that there wasn't a match or um, there was some kind of outgrowing. I The moment that I started to get sober, my life just took off. My spirituality was just, I, I, I just couldn't even fathom how natural it felt for me to um, be sober, stay sober, um, seek the connection with my higher power, um, work through the steps. I'm not saying that it was easy and it was painless, but for me, it was like a second skin. Um, I didn't resist anything. Whatever was said to me that I needed to do, I did. When there were things, um, I remember being very frustrated with step six when I was doing it the first time because I wanted a tangible bullet points. What do I need to, you know, up until that point, you work, you know, step four, you make the list, step five, you talk about it, step six, it's kind of abstract. You just have to be willing. I did not um, get it. It made me very frustrated. Um but that's when I, it was just natural for me to come into AA and say, what is this step six all about? Because I don't understand it. And I'm not quite sure if I'm willing, what is going on? <laughs> so um, I really did not fight the program. I did not fight God. I did not, I did not fight. And that was my um, that was a blessing and a grace that I had no idea um, was available to me. Um, changing sponsors five times was painful. And um, I didn't know at that time if I'm making a right decision. But there was just something driving me. And then I finally 
met my sponsor that I currently have, who whenever <laughs> I like to say that whenever we meet and we talk, there are sparks flying, like our gods must be talking or doing <laughs> some kind of, um, you know, um, chatting on the side when we don't know, because it is such a deep spiritual connection that I have with her. Um, that when I really started to work with her, my, my spiritual life took off even more and I couldn't be, I couldn't be in a better place than I am right now. So I want to circle back to this because, uh, because of your, um, Polish upbringing and my impression at least of uh, the Eastern Bloc countries and Russia and, you know, spirituality. First of all, do you have any idea if AA was or is available over in Poland? In fact, when you go back, are you able to go to meetings by any chance? Yes, I do go to meetings. Um, I don't know if it was available when I was growing up. However, um, I think it was started in the late 80s, but it wasn't um, it was in the bigger cities. It wasn't necessarily in my hometown. But I do um, have a schedule on my phone of meetings in my hometown. They happen every day. Um, at particular hour, there's one meeting a day. Um, the AA in Poland is a little bit different because one meeting can last up until two and a half hours. And they are just done differently, but um, mm -hmm. whatever I'm hearing there, it's the same um, as it is here. And um, they, you know, they have a big book and they um, have daily reflections and other recovery literature. So all of that is very familiar to me. And it's just the same as we have it here in the US. So you talked about your spirituality kind of taken off uh, once you got that particular sponsor and you got an AA and you were, you know, really working the steps and all that. But I'm just wondering, did you did you grow up with any sort of conception of God? Did they talk about, you know, uh, spirituality when you were a kid in Poland? Talk to me about that. I was raised Catholic in Catholic religion. So Catholic religion is very um, predominant in Poland. And I remember growing up believing that that's the only thing that you should know is Catholic religion. When there was someone who practiced another religion, it was kind of a taboo topic or frowned upon. Right. So um, Catholic and, you know, my God, up until I got to the rooms of AA, I didn't know that my perception of God up until that point was um, the punisher, the one that judges you, um, that I need to behave in a way um, that pleases God. Um, so it was very much so that Old Testament um, God of, of Catholic religion. Right. But there were, uh, uh, and see, in, in my impression, at least, uh, at least when I was a kid, is that there weren't even churches or gatherings like that uh, in Poland or Russia. But apparently there were, there were. There were churches and mm -hmm. people went and praised God and did whatever they did. Yes. And it was the way I see it, it might not be the way it is, but the way it seemed to me, it was all done because um, that's how 
you know, like for my mom, that's how she was raised. So you need to continue going to church. Um, It wasn't necessarily because you feel the need, because you feel the need to talk to God or you feel um, um, praying was one more thing to check off your checklist that you need to do today. Um, But it wasn't necessarily developing a sense of connection. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So every once in a while when you're talking with your hands, when we're uh, speaking here, uh, your wrist, I can see your wrist, you have a uh, tattoo on it. Yes. And I'm always curious as to whether people, what, what kind of, so tell me about your tattoo. How did you get it? When did you get it? What does it mean to you? Well, the tattoo on my wrist is of my um, daughter before my daughter. I'm a huge animal lover and I am a dog lover. I, because of that, I'm vegan. I don't eat meat. I um, do not use any animal product uh, at all, either in my wardrobe or that's one thing that sobriety brought me is the awareness of um, how I me, myself, I'm not talking about anyone else, how I can stop contributing to the harm and hurt of animals in today's world. But going back to the tattoo, um, I got Ciara. This is my dog, Ciara. I got Ciara. Ciara. Ciara, like C-I-A-T-A? C-I-A-R-A. Okay, Ciara. Gotcha. Um, I got her about three, four months sober. Um, she was, I, I fostered her first and then she went to, um, another foster and, um, a few weeks later I saw her again at the adoption event and it was love at second sight again, all over again. I, I couldn't leave pl- that place without her. So she came home with me and she was my, um, my four-legged daughter before I had my daughter, Juliana. And Ciara, unfortunately, passed away very suddenly. Mm. Um, oh. It's going to be two years this December. Um, we did not know what um, what caused her illness uh, until very later on. And I, for f- the, the first few months after, you know, I got through the pain of losing her, I realized that I need to do something where it's that it's going to be for her, um, where she will be close to me at all times. So there she is on my wrist and she's with me all the time and she's facing me. So me and her can look at each other. Um, And she's my now she's forever on me, just like she was when she was alive. She always wanted to be on me, lay on me, cuddle with me somewhere in my vicinity so now she's on my wrist oh that's great well god bless you ciara all right so um i also wanted to talk to you a little bit about you before we started here today we were kind of catching up with what's been going on in your life and you mentioned that now you are a business owner yes Uh, and i like the way that you said that this has taught you more about your relationship with with money uh, and your career, uh, who you are as a person. So why don't you describe that a little bit? 
Oh my goodness, that is such a new topic for me. I'm, I will try not to bubble too much because um, I'm still learning a lot. Um, so yes, I, as of um, officially as of August 6th, that's where the certificate came. Um, but I started my own business even before I went to Poland this summer. It became official on August 6th. And as I'm walking through... Um, the um, unemployment and starting my own business, I am learning about my relationship with money. And it all comes from, just like we talked a few minutes ago, my upbringing, the environment that I was brought up in, the, um, the scarcity of um, that was so closely connected with communism in Poland. Um, now I am redefining um, how I want to um, manage my finances and, and, you know, the learning that the money is really just a flow of life that I can co-create life along with money. Those are completely new concepts for me that I have never, ever explored before I became a business owner. That's great. I love that. And that's why I wanted to talk about that. I heard you talk about that right before we started. And I said, that's just a wonderful way to process that and to think about it. And I can tell that you've done some work, you've grown, you're not the same person that came over here when you were 21 years old from Poland. No. Uh, you're a different individual. And one last thing, yes. I know you have a two and a half year old. Yes. I don't want to leave without you mentioning your two and a half year old or anything else you want to say about your family. Yes, well, they are the gift of sobriety. I got married sober. I what had, year? Um, 2015, we met and we got married in 2016. That's when Juliana was born. Juliana. Oh. Yes. And my husband, JP, um, we met in 2015. He is my, um, he is my everything. I, I wouldn't have a life that I have right now without him. And then there comes Juliana on her little chunky two and a half year old legs. <laughs> and she is just the smile of the ray of sunshine every day brings smile to my face every single day. I laugh out loud more these days with her being a goofball that I have ever had. Um, so that's my life that I was given in sobriety. When I got sober, I that relationship I mentioned earlier have um, completely um, um, was completely gone by the time I was three months sober. So um, I spent my first years of sobriety single, really discovering what Magdalena is all about, and I'm so grateful for the guidance and advice of other people who um, walked through sobriety before me that advised me to do that, that told me, you know, this is, try to find out who you really are before you lose yourself in another relationship. Because that's what I was doing when I was drinking, I was losing myself in that other person. And just when I was kind of letting that thought that I will ever get married, have kids, just 
I was thinking, okay, well, if it won't happen, it won't happen. Boom. There it is. There he is. My husband showed up um, and shortly after Juliana and we have a very happy family and with when we met my husband and I we have together 10 dogs wow yes we are both dog rescuers now we are down to five so it's our little household of five dogs Juliana my husband and me <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh, I love it and by the way if anybody listens closely we, we just did a uh a Sober Speak live event. Mm -hmm. And I just remembered this as I'm wrapping it up. And if you listen closely to the one with Jimmy D, I think it's episode 96, if I'm not mistaken, of the Sober Speak live event. There is a question that comes up toward the end of mm -hmm. that podcast, toward the end of that episode. And it is Miss Magdalena talking to Jimmy. So you yes. may recognize her voice from that. Yes, so. that, that episode was great. I truly enjoyed hearing hearing the story and it, it just I still hear it today so it was it was amazing great yeah Jimmy D is something he yes. is absolutely fantastic all right well Magdalena time has flown by I so much appreciate you coming by this is going to be a great episode I'm looking so forward to the folks out there in all four corners of the world hearing it I hope some of your Polish counterparts uh, hear that uh, over there across the pond. I, I hope so. I hope so. I, um, I truly love message of recovery and sobriety, and if I can spread that anywhere, I'm I'm there. So um, this has been a wonderful opportunity for me to be of service. God bless you, Magdalena. Thanks again. Oh, and I read this to end it. I almost forgot, and that is from. Page 164, abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you, Ms. Magdalena, for coming in here and sharing your story uh, with the SoberSpeak audience. It is much appreciated. Uh, toward the end of your episode there, as you were talking about some things, it made me uh, think about one of my favorite sayings that I have, and that is, God has been real good to me. He let hardly anything work out the way I had it planned. <laughs> All right, now on to a little listener de la feedback. Jennifer posts in the secret Facebook group. She says, just finished listening to David G's podcast. Looking forward to steps 11 and 12. John Thank you so much for bringing in all these amazing people and providing a meeting between meetings. Well, you are quite welcome. And I passed on your sentiments to Miss David G. And after you posted that, Jennifer, Janice came in and wrote, he, referring to David G., is my absolute favorite. Three exclamation points. I can't wait for 11 and 12 too. And just in case you don't know what they're talking about, David has done all the steps up to this point. We've gotten him through step 10 and he's going to come back at some point and do 11 and 12. And then Sue 
piled on after that. And she said, grateful to be a part of this group, exclamation point. She's talking about the secret Facebook group. She says, I appreciate and enjoy the post. I will admit, I will admit David G is probably my most favorite AA member I've listened to. Thank you, Davids, for speaking about the steps in your story. John, thank you for the invite and interviewing him on Sober Speak. And once again, I pass on all that to David, as as I do when I get comments about the speakers. I pass them on to all the speakers because I'm so appreciative of their time when they come in here. Heather post again in the secret Facebook group regarding another speaker we had last week. It's about Julie W. And she said, fantastic latest podcast with Julie W. I awoke very early this morning, full of woe with a lot going on. Julie, with her 40 years sobriety, reminded me the best way to get out of self and to get on with life is to do service and help someone else. Amen. Amen, I added. Anyway, thankfully, I'd been booked a while to do a main share at a meeting some distance away this morning on step three. It was just what I needed to get things in perspective and to get off the pity pot. (laughs) I mentioned Julie's inspirational words as I opened the talk, quote, pass it on, unquote. That's what it's all about. Thank you from across the pond in London. Well, hello there. Just coming up on 23 years by the grace of God and special thanks to Julie W. Well, thank you for writing in from across the pond. I sure do appreciate it. And I pass on your comments to Julie. All right. Cecilia, I guess this said the, the title of the email was from Hello from Denmark and it's C E C I L. I-E, I think is what it is. Uh, anyway, C-E-C-I-L-I-E. Yes, that's it. Anyway, she says, hello from Denmark. Hello, John. Thank you so much for your podcast. Just discovered it, and I'm looking forward to dive into it. I am an alcoholic. My name is Cecile. We'll just go with Cecile for now. Anyway, today I am grateful for 33 days sober. Great. I'm attending a meeting tonight where, where I will receive my one-month coin. Fantastic. Would you please add me to your secret Facebook group? Thank you. She gave me her email address. It says, all the best to you and yours. Kind regards, Cecilia. <laughs> and you know, if you ever write in again, just, just tell me how to pronounce your name. I'm so sorry I butchered it so bad. Anyway, over there in Denmark, Miss Cecilia, I am so glad that you're able to listen in, but mainly I am glad that you have 30 plus days of sobriety. That is absolutely fantastic. Keep up the good work. Lori writes in, she says, thanks, John. I live in Victoria, British Columbia on the West Coast in Canada. A, I added the A. Anyway, she says, I've been sober for nine years now. I came across your podcast listening to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club podcast. The app made some suggestions for some other podcasts, so I checked out yours and loved it immediately. You know we alco- you know how we alcoholics are. We just don't like something. We love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good point, uh, Ms. Laurie. Uh, would like to also be part of the secret Facebook group. Thanks for your service, John. Help one save two in unity, Laurie. Oh, love it. Brad writes in and he says, um, hello, John. I live in Farmersville and I go to meetings in McKinney. Oh, that's right here in the Texas area, right by where I live. He says, my sobriety date is 7-6-18. So that's July 6th of 2018. I had gone out after 10 years of sobriety. I had stopped being of service and stopped going to meetings and slowly quit relying on God. I was abruptly laid off and couldn't handle the blow to my ego. I was drinking again within days. It almost killed me. My drinking was worse than it had ever been before. I came crawling back to AA six months later, convinced that people would laugh at me. They just put their arms around me and said, welcome home. I got a new sponsor, went back through the steps, cleared up the mess I had made of my life. Today, I have a personal relationship with my God. I have a sponsor. I get to sponsor other guys. I have a service position and I get to take weekly meetings to the detox slash psych hospital each week. I am back at work today and I'm a much better employee, father, and friend. By the grace of God, I have an amazing life today. Thanks for the podcast. I will reach out and say hello to you at Sober Speak Live. Have a great week, Brad M. Well, Brad M., I am looking most forward to meeting you eyeball to eyeball, and uh, I'm glad you're going to get to come be with us. All right. This next one is Marcus. Marcus writes in. He says, hi, John. My name is Marcus. Could you please add me to the Facebook group? I'm originally from Ohio, but I now live in Wilmington, Delaware and work in the finance, work in finance outside of Philadelphia. I'm 29 and currently seven months sober thanks to AA and the 12 steps. I found your podcast and I really enjoy listening. I have a pretty long commute and listen mostly to podcasts in my free time. It is really a meeting away from meetings. Maybe I I should change my little tagline to meeting away from meetings as opposed to meeting between meetings. I like both of them. What to do? What to do? I am so stressed. Anyway, he says, I'm originally from Ohio. Oh, oh, wrong paragraph. I got so lost in my little train of thought that I lost track of what I was doing there next. Anyway, I had an alcoholic father who died of the disease at 55. So I am familiar with the condition and was familiar with AA. It's astounding that I explain away or justified my own condition for so many years. It escalated right in front of me to the point that I had terrible, debilitating physical withdrawals when I would come out of a bender. Those withdrawals landed me in the hospital and in detox earlier this year, and I'm so grateful that things happened the way they did. I didn't harm anyone in the process, nor did I lose my job. Since my family is on the other side of the state and I have lived here for three years, they do not know how bad my drinking got, but they are very supportive of my sobriety, as are my friends. I'm extremely grateful for everything I have learned through the steps. Self-awareness, the importance of putting others before myself, sobriety was all I wanted out of it, and now it's just a small part of it. 
I go to a lot of meetings around here in Wilmington as well back where I work on the main line outside of Philadelphia. You really see the comparison of backgrounds between the two places and that this disease can affect anyone, but we are all the same, the same. I've been to a meeting in Scotland, which is where my uh, heritage is from, uh, which was fun. I'm going to Thailand. By the way, I added the heritage part about me, just so you know when I'm talking. I'm going to Thailand this coming week. Oh, great. And I already have a list of meetings that I can go to while I'm there. I'll have my eight month anniversary while I'm there. So I really need to make a meeting. Oh, that's great. Thank you again for your podcast. I really enjoy listening best. Marcus P. Well, have a good, safe travel over to Thailand. Thank you for writing in and thank you for being part of our community and congratulations on your sobriety. Mary Lou writes in, she says, I live in Phoenix. I got sober in 1983. I can still remember my first meeting at Crossroads. I'm assuming that's out in Phoenix. And she said, when I asked my first sponsor to sponsor me, I was about three or four days sober. And she said, she, she said she would temporarily sponsor me. That was kind of like one of those, she sells, she sells by the seashore or whatever it goes. Anyway, she took me to meetings almost every day and night. I was told to do 90 and 90. I think I did 150 in 90, laugh out loud, but it really helped me, got me into the habits of, uh, the habit of going to meetings every day. My first month was really hard. I was a hair dryer stylist, and I would have to go to the bathroom and get on my knees and ask for help to stay sober. Sometimes I had to leave work and go to a meeting. I think I cried for, for the first three months every time I spoke. <laughs> I can relate to that. Anyway, she said, I got a new sponsor who was really tough. Her sponsor was the first woman ever to get sober in Phoenix. So her sponsor learned the program from men and she was really tough. Between the two of them, I was giving such a, I was given such a solid foundation and I still try to live by that. I really struggle with meetings, with the meetings at five years and stopped going at 10 years thinking I could do this on my own because of the foundation I had established. Oh, I wonder what's coming up next. Anyway, she says, I find myself today struggling to get out of the house and attend meetings. Oh no. Um, I pray every day for the willingness. I know I need to go and I want to share with everyone. Please keep going to meetings uh, and do not do what I have done. I've been able to stay sober for 36 years, but I'm very lonely. So build a strong support and stick with them. Uh, we'll share with you how, how my struggle is going. Uh, thank you for all your support and stories, this group, and you have given me hope. She's talking about the group, the Facebook group. She's in there. Anyway, she says, my two friends in Phoenix, Karen and Pam, have been supporting me and urging me to go to meetings because I'm retired and I don't work and I have plenty of time on my hands. This is the first time I've shared in a group. The Facebook group is what she's talking about. So I really need everyone's prayers with with God's grace and support, I know I can do this, Mary Lou. Well, with God's grace and support, I know you can do it, Mary Lou. Thanks so much for writing in. All right, everybody. So that is another wrap for another week of Sober Speak. So 
Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you for listening in. I think I'm going to make it back next week. I always say one week at a time. God bless you. Love you. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Wendy Child, who will be at our Sober Speak Live event, providing the entertainment. This song is called Take It On. Enjoy. Pieces off the floor